Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. A uh, reminder, a few things is uh, we are going to open up outdoors in two weeks, Sunday, March 7th. So if you would like to be a part of that, we are going to have a canopy outside and a TV. And uh, we will have time to talk together, to pray together outdoors um, while we do the talk recording inside. Um, it's kind of strange to have people someplace and be someplace else talking to people who are someplace, but I'm getting kind of used to it now. So it will be great to be able to actually see some of your faces, even if it is through masks outdoors in two weeks. So if you can and don't feel uncomfortable and would like to join us, uh, please do. Again, if you feel uh, unsafe, if you are at risk and don't want to because of that, those concerns, by all means, we understand that. Um, same thing's happening right now. Uh, Take Two is here on YouTube Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. live. Again, you're invited to join in live and actually write in your questions until we can actually meet together. Uh, everything okay? <laughs> okay. I see movements in the back, and I just like, okay, what's going on? Um, but anyway, those things are happening, as well as the, uh, you can find ways to donate, continue the donations uh, on our website through Zelle, Venmo, and the things that have been available that are there on the screen. I do want to thank everyone who contributed and supported our giving to the caretakers at San Antonio Hospital in the ER. We handed out 70 meals uh, Wednesday, 35 in the morning and 35 in the evening. There two uh, times, 11 o'clock is really when the one shift takes lunch or dinner, depending on when they went to work, and the other at 8 p.m. when they are going to eat. It was much appreciated, and again, a great job to Hitchburger and Grill, who provided the, the variety. I was talking to my daughter, and she said uh, that, hey, they brought lunch, you know, Genesis brought lunch, and she goes, oh, I'm on a diet, and I really don't want to you know, eat and go, well, they have salads too. And they go, oh, they have salads. And so, yeah, we had, I think, tuna sandwiches, uh, chicken sandwiches, BLTs, uh, wraps, Asian, and some other salad with some fruit and a bottle of water. So they had all those labeled nice and boxes, and it went over really good. What was also neat is I got to speak to the owners, to Chris and Anna Karina, this is something that they do on a regular basis, is really uh, wanting to 
uh, help the community. And some of the things that they do are like Mother's Day or on definitely the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. They'll do uh, some kind of benefit to help out. And I talked to him and I said, you know what, if you need volunteers, let me know because we will do what we can to staff those kinds of things and help you out if you're doing something like that. And I, I'm, I share that with him and I'm letting you guys know that if these things come up, I'll present this to those of you who would like to be a part of something like that that is really uh, giving back to the community in some way because I told them that's really what we want to be a part of. And so it was great to have that relationship and build this bridge with them, and I hope it'll continue in the future. So again, thank you guys for that. Um, well, today we're going to begin a new series. I'm going to start a series, and I don't know yet how many weeks this is going to to take place because I, I think it's very important. We're going to do a series on desire, why what we want matters. Now, even just hearing that word desire, how does it make you feel? Does it make you feel uneasy? Does it put questions in your mind? Does it, it challenge maybe some of the things that you've heard in the past? Well, well, I hope it does, because I hope to do that. I, I hope to challenge maybe some of our preconceived ideas uh, that have put desire in this category as bad. Um, you know, we desire a lot of things. We, we desire our children to do well. We desire to do well at work. Uh, we desire to have pizza for lunch. I mean, there's so many things that we have in our minds with this idea of desire. And really, a desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or, or wishing for something to happen which isn't always bad. And so how do we lean into this a little bit more? So this morning, I want to talk to you about the faces of time, puzzles, a box of cereal, and magnifying mirrors, okay? Remember what we've been talking about about three weeks ago, I think it was. We, we had the grace and truth matrix, and I put it up here on the board for our memory, right? We, we talked about how there is this quadrant of grace and truth that is really where the love of God is displayed, and it's most clearly displayed in the person of Christ and how he conducted himself. We looked at how he uh, interacted with the woman caught in adultery, with Peter and the other disciples. We, we saw how he operated in this culture that we labeled call-in, as opposed to call out or or hang out or check out. He journeyed with the people to bring them alongside of him and to connect them to God. This this is really discipleship, right? This is how he acted in this way of discipleship. Now remember, grace is more than just unmerited favor. Grace is God's giving of himself in relationship. It is a partnership with God. And truth is God's revealing the reality and calling us to participate in that reality. 
And the reality is who God is and the things that God does. And, and so that was the, the grace-truth matrix that we were looking at. Um, this is what Jesus did. Now let's focus a little closer on how Jesus put this into practice. So what we're going to do is double-click on this quadrant of grace and truth, and it blows up into this grace and truth here that we're going to kind of look into. Um, There are moments that are captured in Scripture that burst out with significance. As Jesus opens up space for people to be transformed. And the idea of transformation is really at the heart of discipleship, right? Discipleship is transformation. Now, the Greeks had a way of expressing time, and they had a god of time who was named Kronos. It's where we get our word chronology from. And Kronos was seen as kind of an old man, like a father time with a white beard. Many pictures will have him with an hourglass where the sand is going through and dropping through. Some of the pictures will have him sucking the life out of a child because the idea of Kronos is actually one of unrelentless and destructive. It has no concern for the, the hopes and dreams of, of mankind. It is relentless and moving forward, and it just happens to keep going. And, and that's why that picture of the hourglass or the sucking the life out of someone is Kronos is there, and it's consuming. Time is consuming. But They also had another picture of time. It was another God, and it was this different picture. And this was Kairos. And Kairos, instead of having an hourglass, had a balance in his hand, right? And Kairos is portrayed differently in that he is looked at as opportunity. He is looking at it, seizing a moment and making the most of that moment, as it's identified rather than just passed by. And so for an example, you could say the year 2020 is in between 2019 and 2021. That's just information about a year. Or you can say there was a COVID-19 pandemic that affected the world. See, one is just moving as if it was just a date. The other is capturing an essence of time. And these kairos moments are where essence of time, important events take place that shape who we are. And so instead of just thinking back on a date, we think back on a time where something happened. One identifies just time, the other captures the essence of time. We have Kairos moments where God speaks to us, ministers to us, reveals something to us. These are places that usually happen in our emotions. 
It, it, it's like a geyser of water busting out of the ground. It's something that shows up and then we have to deal with it. And it can show up with us being frustrated. It can show up with us being angry. It can show up with us being emotional, very sensitive, watching a movie and something moves you and you begin to weep and you're wondering what's going on. That's a Kairos moment. Something is happening within you that is meant to capture that time. It's meant to capture your attention. It's something that we don't want to pass by because it's an opportune moment. My history of discipleship, I've been involved with ministry for a long time and involved with leadership in one form of another, right? I've led youth groups, musician musician groups, men's groups, college groups, and all of them have been meant to be some form of discipleship. And the focus of them has mostly been about content and conduct. That fell. So we'll have words here. And then I'll have works. Now, words can be um, doctrine, the way we think, right? It, it can be about our head and those kinds of things. And works can be about the deeds that we do. We have the head, we've got the habits, we've got the, the doctrine, the deeds, we've got the words, and we've got the works. Most of my life in leadership has been a focus on these things. Getting the right information, passing that on through the study, through prayer, an involvement with these things. It's about making sure that we behave accordingly right? Many churches, actually larger churches, if you are going to go and work at that church, you have to sign a contract of agreement that you are going to behave a certain way, that you are not going to smoke, that you are not going to drink alcohol, uh, that you are not going to text or call and speak to a person of the opposite sex who you're not married to. I mean, literally, there's churches that have those kinds of uh, clauses in there. And the whole idea is they're trying to help maintain this idea of you, you think the right way, you do the right things. And it's a, a part of, I think, Christian culture in a large degree. I remember we had a five-page fill-out if you wanted to work in children's ministry. You would have to go through and sign up and answer five pages worth of questions. Now, the crazy thing is the questions didn't involve a background check, but there is questions like, were you ever divorced? Do you drink? Those kinds of things, right? It was all based on what do you believe and what are the things that you're doing? If we are to be formed into the image that looks like Christ, which again is discipleship, right? Transformation, that's what discipleship is. 
then transformation needs to play, take place in the depths of who we are, in the innermost being. And that includes the heart, the spirit, the soul, what it is to be human. And yet that portion is often overlooked. And that brings us down here to our wants. And you see, oftentimes what happens is there is this below the surface here where our wants hide. These are the things that we can observe. These are the things that we see. These are the things that are easy to identify. When it gets down to the wants, it becomes a little bit trickier. It's a little bit more difficult. But we cannot become who we were created to be by just focusing on our words, our doctrines, our works, our deeds, without dealing with our wants, our desires. Because that's a part of who we are. My family, whenever we go to vacation, uh, we, we puzzle. We'll get a thousand-piece puzzle. We'll get a few of them, and we'll, we'll have the table, and we'll clear off the table, and we'll start at the beginning of our vacation time to start putting this puzzle together. And sometimes we'll go through a few puzzles, depending on how difficult they are, and all those things, the time we have to do that. I remember we were up at Napa, my cousin Karen's, and we had the table out, and we were putting a puzzle together, and it was missing a piece. After the whole thing is done, there's one piece. And you know that feeling of it's not complete, right? And it wasn't an end piece. It's a piece in the middle somewhere. It's like, where's the piece of the puzzle? And we're looking everywhere. We're looking. And I remember her sending us a family text later with the piece of the puzzle. Later, she found it underneath like this armoire. We don't know how it got there. But all of a sudden, she goes, I found it. But it was too late now because, you know, in frustration, we threw the puzzle everywhere. We just like, no. But you see, that hidden piece oftentimes is our wants, is our desires, is the things that we actually see below that waterline, that perception level. We don't step into it, but Jesus does. And so I want to start off, and we're going to be looking at a number of things, passages of Jesus's interaction in the weeks to come, but we're going to start off in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m. What is the first thing that Jesus asks of John's disciples? It isn't, what do you guys know? Right? It's not... 
What do you believe? It's not even, do you guys follow the law? Have you been good boys? The first thing that Jesus asks them literally is, what do you want? When he asks them, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? He's asking them, what do you want? More than what they do, more than what they know, it's what do they desire? And Jesus immediately goes to the want. What are you guys looking for? What is it that you desire? What are you seeking? What do you want? And I believe that real discipleship must involve getting to our wants and getting the wants above the surface where we are recognizing them with the rest of our lives so that they are integrated. I mean, that's what Jesus says when they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He's including everything. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all of you. What we are is often what we love and what we want. And it's more than just what we think or what we do. It includes what we desire. Almost the entire Sermon on the Mount is Jesus getting past what people believe and what people do and trying to get below the surface to what they really want and who we really are. He's helping us see that knowing the right things, performing the correct actions aren't enough to really be at home in God's kingdom. And over and over, he is helping people dive below the surface below the surface of knowledge or behavior and into the heart where our motivations are born, where our lives are driven by what we deeply desire. I haven't had cereal in a long time. I kind of miss the days when breakfast was a bowl of cereal. Those were the good old days when sugar wasn't a demon. And they used to sell cereal by telling you there was a toy inside. I don't know if they still do that, but there would be TV commercials and you would get this toy. And of course, the toys were always cheap, but they made it seem bigger than life on TV. And then you would get the box of cereal, but they always put the toy at the bottom. And so it's like you had to eat the cereal to get to the toy, but I don't know anyone who ever did, right? What we would do is just shake the, bo- the box, you know, like this, and then we'd reach our hand in, thinking about it now. I-, I never washed my hands as a kid. Anyway, you'd just reach your hand in, and you would just grab that toy. I, I can even remember my mom dumping out the-, the whole box just so we could find that toy. 
getting that toy was the prize. It was having to dig in deep to get that. Notice that, again, words and works are above the waterline. They're easily observed, measured, but wants require more honesty, more discernment to discover. Many of us don't even have an idea of what it is we really want. We think, well, I know what I'm supposed to believe. I know what I'm supposed to do, but we don't keep in touch with what it is what we really want. And again, maybe it's because what we want has been sold to us in in the negative way, right? Um, One of the problems has been kind of a call-out culture of desires, where desires are seen as bad. The heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Your righteousness is as is that filthy rags? All of sin comes short of the you right. You can fill out this list of scriptures, all these things. Oh, yeah, I can't, you know, do these things. I'm to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Jesus. And the, the problem with painting this kind of scenario and, and cherry picking scriptures to fit this scenario is you get people cherry picking other scriptures as well. Ask whatever you will, and it will be done to you. Right? They were righteous before the Lord, a man after God's own heart. And so you can find, you know, other scriptures that say something different instead of recognizing that it's actually supposed to be something that we move past this vilifying our desires and move into an understanding they are part of us And they are a part of the whole that God is wanting to transform, that discipleship takes place in all of these areas. So we have to move past the voice that everything we desire is wrong and needs to be squashed or that everything can be good and God just wants to bless you and make you healthy and wealthy and indulge you, but to a more accurate picture of who we are shows up in our desires and and should not be ignored. And and when I say our wants should not be ignored, that doesn't mean our wants should be catered to and just given into. It means we need to listen to them. We need to see them as a part of who we are. For transformation to take place, for the transformation of our wants, our desires to take place, the first step is simply to become aware of them as they currently exist. And, and what's there, naming them. We, we really are, to a large degree, what we want. If God is to transform me, then it's the real me that needs to be transformed. And that includes my wants. That includes the things I desire. And so I need to put those things on the table. I need to own those things. I need to see those things and see where they're coming from. And again, not all desires are bad. We don't all just desire evil things. I think most parents desire good for their children. One of the things we notice when we start naming our desires is that we want to keep them hidden. We want to stay below the waterline. We, we don't want our desires to be known because maybe we're ashamed of them. We're, we're afraid of them. We're afraid 
they'll embarrass us. We're, we're afraid to own what they are. But it's absolutely necessary for transformation to take place, to move this shame above the surface into the environment of grace and truth, right? Because all this is taking place here. It's all taking place where it is safe because God is calling us into his presence, into who he is. He's not calling us to, to journey with him to shame us. He's not calling us here to point out all the places we're wrong. He's calling us into this place so that we can grow and we can develop. And so it's absolutely necessary to get these things above the surface and to not live in this shame mentality. You know, a lot of women have, and I, 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 maybe there's some men who have it, but I don't, a magnifying mirror. I didn't even know what one was until I was scared and saw one, right? You, you look into a magnifying mirror and it like doubles or quadruples the image, and so you look in it and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what's that? It's like you see your face like up close. It's like you see the pores in your skin. You see the hair coming out of the follicles. You, you see all the blemishes. Everything is just magnified. And, I, and that's the point, right? If I can make the, the detail look good, then the whole picture looks good. I guess that's the whole idea, right? The word, this idea of I'm seeing things, usually it's a little bit horrific, truthfully, at least it was when I looked in one. It was like, oh my gosh, man, I see so many blemishes. And sometimes that's how we see ourselves in this area of wants. It's like, I I don't want to know all those things that are really within me. I don't want to see them. I don't want to own them. But if we are going to grow, then it has to be with all of who we are. You know, the word courage comes from the word cur in the Latin, which means heart. And the original, original definition of courage is to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. Thanks to Brene Brown and her TED Talk. I learned that. But that's beautiful. To tell the story of who you really are with your whole heart. In other words, it's not to hide some of what you don't like. The courage is to step into who you really are. To, To face our wants, we have to have the courage to be imperfect and know that we live within the grace and truth of God who is loving us and giving himself to us. If you're unable to name what it is you desire and want, it might be that you're not living in this culture of grace and truth, in this culture of love. You're you're living maybe in the call-out or even the hang-out or check-out. I can't 
move into this because I don't feel safe. I can't move into this because I don't want to be seen. I can't move into this because it's going to cost me too much. I'm not saying again that everything I want is right. I'm saying that what you want is the only place where God wants to meet you. He doesn't want to meet someone who is just surface level, playing the game, going through the motions. I mean, really the picture in the New Testament is the Pharisees are living up here. And Jesus keeps wanting to go deep. And the only way we will be able to move forward with our desires is to understand that we are already in the environment of grace and truth so that God knows this and he accepts us where we are, who we are. And that sometimes we can't just think ourselves into how to love. But we can start to learn how to love ourselves into how to live. Because it involves more, it risks more, and it costs more. And we have to have an understanding that is safe. And so John, the disciple of Jesus, would say years later in 1 John chapter 3, says, Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Right? We're seeing both of these up here. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. Whenever our hearts make us feel guilty or condemn us and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience. And we know everything there is. He knows everything there is to know about us. It's the totality of who we are. It's the courage to step into this place to tell the story of who we are with our whole hearts because that is where and the only place that God is able to meet us. That's the good news I I want to proclaim to all of us here is that God wants you to take courage God wants you to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. God wants to meet you below the service in this context of grace and truth. That is the good news that he meets us where we are and who we are and transforms us there. Transformation, discipleship, at its goal isn't to ignore words, and works, but it's to integrate them, right? That the works are connected to words and the words are connected to the wants and the wants continue back to the works and it's all a part of who we are. Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why would God want to give us the desires of our heart? Because that's what he really wants us to do, is understand that when he is a part in integrating us in this way, that they all work together. And so what we need to do is look for these kairos moments, right? These times when our wants are speaking to us. Now, don't don't think, well, it's a bad want or it's a good want. I just want us to be aware of them being there, that they're speaking out to us. It's that geyser bursting out. And so I am frustrated. That's a moment to be aware. Why am I frustrated? Well, maybe I'm frustrated because I wanted to, to do thus and such, and because of these circumstances, I wasn't able to. And so I got frustrated. All right, last year I was supposed to go and be a part of a wedding in Hawaii, but I couldn't because of COVID-19. And so I was frustrated. That's telling me something. What frustrated me? Just that I couldn't go? No, I was looking forward to this. What was I looking for? I was looking forward to some time alone with my wife and with some friends. I was looking forward to these times. Oh, it's telling me that what I want is some time with these people or some time away from the busyness. Maybe it's telling me what I need is a little break from the busy things that I'm doing. And maybe I can hear that and do something about that even though I'm not getting to go to Hawaii and do the wedding in Hawaii. You see, I'm listening to these things because they're speaking to me. I'm saddened because I I see someone in a circumstance and they're, they're afraid and they're depressed and it's bothering me. And what, what's bothering me? It, it bothers me that they've been sold a bill of goods in their past that tells them that they are not worthy of God's love, that they are not worthy to be accepted for who they are, and that the only way they can be accepted is to get rid of the doubt, to get rid of the fear, to get rid of the depression. And until they can get rid of that, they really aren't adding up. And it bothers me that someone has misrepresented who God is to them. And so my desire is for them to not see themselves as condemned, but to bring good news to them that they are to take courage that God is wanting to meet them where they're at so that they can tell the story of who they are with their whole heart. And all these things are showing up, these kairoses are showing up here in in my desires, here in the things that I want, here in the the things that I feel. And, And maybe even as I've been talking this morning, There are things that have stirred you in one way or another, right? Made you feel uncomfortable maybe about yourself, a situation, or maybe with a relationship with someone else. Where I I told you about, you know, I want you to tap into your wants. And maybe you're being aware of something you want and it's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you've had memories where you shamed your wants as selfish 
and ungodly, but they're still calling out to you to acknowledge them. You may have had memories where that has taken place. Maybe you've thought about a relationship with a spouse, a friend, a coworker, and your strong feelings in that relationship that keep talking to you about this needing to be done, this needing to be changed. And it's uncomfortable and it's just stayed below the surface. And all of a sudden it, it's speaking to you and that voice isn't going away and it's showing up. These are Kairos moments, opportunities where you are telling yourself, take notice. Something's happening that we need to address. The thing we often have strong emotions in or or want from others is often the very things that need to be faced in ourselves. I'm so bothered by how that person has acted towards me and I don't realize what's really bothering me is I act that way towards others. So in concluding, I want to leave you with some questions. And if you don't have a paper and pencil to write this down, maybe make note of these and go back and review this later. Because I want you to ask yourselves these questions throughout this week, and hopefully we can lean into them further in the weeks to come. But the first thing is, what has been your experience of discipleship mainly been focused on? What has your idea of discipleship been focused on? How did a words works focus manifest itself And what were the results in your life? So if you are coming from a place like me, and maybe you aren't, maybe this has always been a part of your understanding of discipleship, but if you're coming from a place like I did where it was all about words and works, what did that do in your life? What did it produce? What is the results? Next question is, what excites you? about this model of including the wants? What brings clarity or or conviction to you? Is there an aha moment that as this comes into play and you say, you know what? Yeah, I, I get that. I see that. And why do you think that is? that's the case. And then finally, and the last is, what concerns you about this model? Looking at this, are you like, oh no, can't go there. What brings conflict or confusion to you? And why do you think that is? Why would facing our wants bring either fear or liberation? What is it about this that is so unnerving, so difficult to really tap into, so scary? When the first thing Jesus would say to John and his disciples or that he would say to you is, what do you want? 
Before he would ask, what do you believe? What do you do? Jesus is asking us, what do you want? Because if we answer this, whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be liberating, or whether it be fearful, we start getting to what is true, and God is able now to meet us in a place of truth. Let's pray. Lord, it is my desire. What I want from this series is freedom. Freedom from a shame mentality that refuses to accept the totality of who we are and suppresses us to a place of frustration. What I want is to proclaim good news to those who are hearing this. Lord, that we can take courage to be able to tell the story of who we are with our whole hearts because it is in this environment of grace and truth that you are at work within us. And Lord, I know this can be scary, especially for some of us who have suppressed this idea of desire for so many years in the name of Jesus. To now lean into this, there is a lot of fear. There is a lot of questions. Lord, may we not shrink back from the God who loves us and gave himself for us and that while we were still sinners, died for us. May the environment of grace and truth overshadow our wants, our words, and our works. I do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May you receive the gospel of Christ the good news that you can live in an environment of grace and truth to be able to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart because you are loved and embraced there. In all these things we ask in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. We love you. We miss you. Encourage one another. Bless you guys. Love you. Miss you. Hope to see you soon. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.